morning. We're going to read from chapter 18, Matthew 18, starting at verse 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or, feet or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Thank you, Sarah. And do please keep that open, page 985. Let's pray as we come to these words of Jesus. Lord Jesus, your words humble those who exalt themselves and exalt those who humble themselves. So work in us now by your Holy Spirit. Give us humility to hear and receive your words and be changed by what you're saying to us. Amen. We're thinking about how we measure greatness. That's what we're seeing this term from Matthew chapter 18. Jesus is going to show us as a church what greatness looks like. Now, a lot of the time, we often think of greatness as a pyramid. Can you imagine that, a pyramid? And the thing about pyramids is they get narrower as you go up. And so we think of greatness as a pyramid. There are a few who've made it right to the top, and then down below, the rest of us who weren't quite as great, the little people. And if greatness is a pyramid, then that means that you'll do anything to get to the top. And in fact, you might get trampled on in someone else's pursuit of greatness. That's why, so often, we think of greatness as permission to behave badly. Those who are great, those who have gifts, talents, achievements, well, we'll turn a blind eye to the way perhaps they treat others. We're so dazzled by what they can do or have done that we tolerate character flaws. Recently, I was reading about T.S. Eliot, one of the greatest writers of the 20th century, maybe all time. And he had a long and complicated relationship with a woman called Emily Hale. They were in love, but he never did the decent thing and married her. He used her, and it broke her heart. And she wrote this in a letter about the whole thing. She wrote this. He loves me. I believe that wholly, but apparently not in the way usual to men less gifted. Do you hear that? He's great. And so different rules apply to him. Is greatness about getting the top of the pyramid? Does greatness give you permission to treat people badly, to look down on the little people? as if they're nobodies. No. Last week, Jesus did something shocking. You can see it in verses 1 to 5. He doesn't go to the most experienced, the most accomplished, the most articulate. 
to show us greatness, Jesus finds a little child. In this room, he might look past all the adults and find a pathfinder, or maybe even go downstairs and find a scrambler, because Jesus is redefining greatness. It's not a pyramid, and the people at the bottom are not just little people to despise. He says they're little ones who belong to him, and how we treat them is how we treat him. He cares passionately about his little ones. And that's why we hear these strong words of warning in what Sarah just read. I have two things for us to see this morning. Here's the first one. Jesus deals severely with whoever causes his little ones to stumble. Have a look at verse 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Do you hear that? Nobody has permission to treat Jesus' little ones badly. Nobody is too great, too important to get away with it. Now, the reading began with Jesus bringing a literal little child in their midst, and that little child is still there. But here in verse 6, we see that Jesus is widening who he's talking about. He's talking about the little ones who believe in him. This is a description of Jesus' lowly disciples, those who become like little children to enter the kingdom. And Jesus says, verse 5, if you glance at that, welcome them and you welcome me. But verse 6, if you cause them to stumble, you'll wish you'd been drowned with a millstone around your neck. It's a strong warning. But what is Jesus warning us against? What does it mean to cause someone to stumble? It's not about going around Christchurch secretly and putting banana peels or upside-down blocks of Lego. Jesus is talking about a different kind of stumbling. It might help you to know that cause to stumble is the same word Jesus uses in the parable of the sower when he talks about the shallow soil and those who fall away when persecution comes. It's the same word Jesus uses, or rather Matthew uses, to talk about those who take offense at Jesus and then reject him. So causing someone to stumble is doing anything that trips them up in following Jesus. Anything that sabotages their discipleship, that preys on their lowliness and humility. Jesus will deal severely with those who do that. He's talking about a large millstone, the kind you need a donkey to turn. You couldn't do it by hand. And he's saying it would be better to have that round your neck and be thrown into the sea than to cause a little one to stumble. Perhaps the world says that you'll get to the top of the pyramid by trampling on others. But Jesus says, if you cause my little ones to stumble, you won't rise to the top. You'll sink like a stone. And verse 7, he tells us that stumbling blocks do feel inevitable, in the world. Because after all, this is a fallen world where we cut God out of the picture, put ourselves at the center, and trample on others to get what we want. Yes, the world is fallen. But that, Jesus says, is not an excuse for anyone. That doesn't let anyone off the hook. Verse 7, not just woe to the world, but also woe to the person through whom these stumbling blocks come. So often in our world, judging rightly feels too difficult for us. Situations are often too tangled and messy. We don't know how to do it. 
It's beyond us. But it's not beyond him. Jesus will judge with perfect justice. And no one who causes others to stumble will be let off the hook. Jesus deals severely with whoever causes his little ones to stumble. And as Jesus thinks about that, he then changes gear. And then, instead of talking about other people, do you notice in verse 8, he begins talking to us. It's the second thing I want us to see this morning. We should deal severely with whatever causes us to stumble. We should deal severely with whatever causes us to stumble. It's a bit like an awkward experience I once had. I'd gone to the theater to watch a play, and then suddenly, in the middle of the action, a phone starts ringing. Louder and louder, shrill. People are beginning to look around disapprovingly. The actors are starting to get distracted. And with every ring, I am getting angrier and angrier. Who wouldn't turn their phone off when they go see a play? Who wouldn't at least put it on silent? What kind of... And then the horrifying realization the sound is coming from my back. It's my phone. A moment so awkward I might remember it until the day I die. It's possible, isn't it, to read a verse like verse 6 and 7 and think that it's really about other people. But what if the phone that's ringing is ours? If we settle in and get comfortable when Jesus is talking about sin and we think, yeah, you tell him, Jesus, then we deceive ourselves and there's a risk that we won't hear what we need to. And so Jesus isn't just talking about other people. He turns his gaze on us. Do you hear it? Verse 8. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. Verse 9, he, he clarifies the fire of hell. The stakes are so high. Jesus is talking about entering life, not just biological life. We all have that. Bugs have that. But the life that is truly life, life in quantity and quality, the life we were all made for, the life we all long for, whether we know it or not, the kind that only the God who is life in himself can ever give. That's what's at stake and Jesus' point is, if anything gets in the way of you taking hold of that, cut it off. If anything would cause you to stumble instead of entering into life, Jesus says, cut it off. We should deal severely with whatever causes us to stumble. Enter life at all costs, Jesus says. And in fact, if it holds you back from that, Jesus says it's better off to be without it. Because to enter life without that thing is still to enter life. But to fail to enter life, to go to hell instead, is the most tragic waste. It might be surprising for us to hear Jesus speak about hell like this. But the truth is, he's too honest and too loving not to. This is really important to see. Whenever you hear Jesus talking about hell... He's telling you how seriously he takes wrongdoing. There are awful things in our world. They fill our headlines with scandal. They fill our hearts with grief. And Jesus doesn't just look at them and shrug. No, he cares about justice, and he will see it done. He cares about those who are wronged and exploited, and he will not allow them to go uncomforted in that. 
That's why hell is actually good news for a hurting world. But I need to tell you, especially if you're here just looking into what Jesus offers, Jesus doesn't just talk about hell. He does warn us, but he does more than that. He isn't just telling you not to go there. He died so that no one has to. That's worth hearing when you hear these words from his lips. In his death on the cross, Jesus experienced the reality of the judgment he is talking about so that anyone who trusts in him can enter life. Jesus is not speaking lightly. So this morning, let's listen to him. Let's enter life at all costs. We should deal severely with whatever causes us to stumble. And Jesus isn't literally talking about cutting off body parts at this point. Earlier in Matthew 15, he told us that it's things that come out of our heart that defile us. But he does want us to think about how we stumble. So it's worth asking, perhaps this week in your prayers, Lord, is there anything I put my hand to that is causing me to stumble? Am I setting my feet towards anything that leads me or others to sin? Am I eyeing things in a way that dishonors you? Ask him to show you so that you can cut it off. We should deal severely with whatever causes us to stumble. And as we finish, I have three ways for us to respond to Jesus' words. Here's the first one. Remember that holiness is a together thing. Remember that holiness is a together thing. The Christian life is not just a glorious one-to-one with Jesus. That intimacy is a key ingredient, but it's not the whole picture. So ask yourself, how invested are you in the discipleship of others, perhaps as you look around this room? On the flip side of that, ask yourself, is there anything I am doing that could be causing someone else to stumble? It could be a very small thing. It could, in fact, be something that isn't necessarily a bad thing in itself. In Paul's letters, he'll talk about how we can cause a brother or sister to stumble because of their sensitive conscience. But here's the thing. Because we value Jesus' little ones, we will prioritize their discipleship over our freedom every time. Holiness is a together thing. Second, understand that in Jesus' kingdom, being gifted is no excuse for mistreating others. It's no excuse for mistreating others. Churches fall apart when gifts eclipse character, when ministry ability or way with words or strength of character or generous financial giving excuse us from criticizing those who aren't welcoming Jesus' little ones. And we are not immune. None of us are immune. None of our churches are immune. We should understand that in Jesus' kingdom, being gifted is no excuse for mistreating others. Can I say, that's why we should take safeguarding seriously. That's why you'll see so much of it up around the building, information for you to see. That is not a box we tick reluctantly because someone else says we have to. No, we see Jesus' passionate care for his little ones. And we want to take that seriously ourselves. We want his little ones to be safe in our church. Thirdly, finally, take refuge in Jesus' care for his little ones. This strong warning is actually very good news, depending on who you are. Think about it like this. Imagine you're a hunter, and you've just come across a little bear cub, 
and you're about to shoot it and stuff it so you can take it home and show all your friends. But then you see the mother bear come charging towards you, claws sharp, teeth bared. How do you feel about that mother bear? Very bad news, terrifying. Okay, but now imagine that you are the bear cub. How do you feel about that mother bear? Very good news, she's your protection. This is how the gospel works. If you put yourself at the top of the pyramid, then Jesus' words here stand against you as a challenge. But if you humble yourself, if you take the lowly place he calls you to, then these words are for you, and they are a comfort. Because it turns out that this is how much Jesus cares for his little ones. Maybe you were here last week, and you heard Jesus call you to become like a little child. And maybe you thought, but Jesus, if I do that, if I become vulnerable, undefended, like a little child, won't I get hurt? Won't I be taken advantage of? And Jesus says, take care, take refuge in my care, and leave those who wrong you to me. Jesus says, I will take it personally if anyone harms you. I will deal severely with anyone who does that. I wonder if this morning any of us need to take refuge in Jesus' care for his little ones, to believe that he cares passionately for us, and to leave it to him, to allow him to take it personally so that we don't have to. Brothers and sisters, there's deep comfort here. You are not disposable to him, even if that's how others have treated you. It matters how you are treated, because you matter to Jesus. And so it matters how we treat one another too. Why don't you take a quiet moment there to reflect on what the Lord has said. And I invite the band to come up. And in a moment, we're going to stand and sing, Oh Great God, an opportunity even as we sing to respond to what the Lord has said, perhaps to humble ourselves, to bring ourselves low, trusting in his care for his little ones. That's a great posture to come to his table too. Let's take a quiet moment and then I'll pray.